Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. Well, I'm glad you've joined me for this final podcast of 2015. I want to say to all of you who have been listening to me throughout this year, I appreciate your taking time to listen to my ramblings. I appreciate the journey we've made together. Thanks for investing in this. And I'm trusting that this final podcast of the year is going to be perhaps one of the most valuable. I want to talk to you about owning 2016, owning 2016. I'm using the word owning here in the way we sort of do in our modern slang. You know, uh, if somebody really just dominates in a sports contest, we say that person owned his opponent. Um, If we want someone to take responsibility for something that they did wrong, we'll say you need to own that. You need to own it. Um, if we're, if we're wanting, uh, someone to, uh, uh, to really invest themselves and, and, and really take responsibility for something, uh, and not, not so much in the sense of something they've done wrong, but in the sense of something that they, uh, that they need to invest in, we'll say, man, you're going to have to own this. You're just going to have to own it. So in all those senses, I'm urging you to own 2016. There's a great deal that could cause us to step into this new year afraid and hesitant and stutter stepping and nervous. Uh, But I believe it's a year we ought to own. And I want to talk to you about how to go about that. I think there are about three fundamental things that are happening uh, in the world and in American society that make 2016 perhaps uncertain, perhaps more challenging than most years um, and difficult. Uh, first of all, in American society, there's definitely a re- reconfiguration going on. I like this word configuration. It means the way the parts relate to each other in a system, uh, the, the way the parts work according to a model. And uh, that's, the, that's all from the Latin root of the word. And I like thinking of American society right now in terms of a, of a reconfiguration. Uh, I think our old model, our original model is in question. I think the parts of American society, meaning the different ethnic groups, the different factions, the different governmental uh, parts, uh, states versus federal, um, you know, executive versus congressional, et cetera. All of these are reconfiguring. Uh, I think the, as I say, the ethnic groups in our society, the socioeconomic groups, uh, racial groups are reconfiguring. I think even fundamental American values are uh, under reconfiguration. So the parts are shifting. Things are relating to each other in new ways. It feels like chaos and upheaval, but it's a process that happens from time to time. And it can, in many cases, be good for us long term. Uh, But that's not my topic in this podcast. The second thing that I think is happening that affects all of us is that I believe that we have stepped into World War III. Now, that sounds very dramatic and like maybe I've got a book coming out by that title and I'm and I'm whipping up frenzy, you know, for the sake of marketing. Not so. Uh, I've made the point in an earlier podcast that you can refer to on my website, stephenmansfield.tv, that we have stepped into World War III in the same way that World War I happened. World War II happened more dramatically with invasions of nations and Pearl Harbors. World War I happened gradually with 
different parts of the war, different theaters engaging at different times over many years and people having different motivations and so on, uh, nations having different motivations and all of it happening progressively. I think we have stepped into World War III when it comes to uh, the radical edge of Islam. Uh, any part of the world, any community can be under attack uh, due to the influence of a YouTube video or something as minor as that. And we're seeing this happen all over the world. I think it's one of the themes of our generation. And I do think that we have now stepped into what we will recognize as World War III. It will be more high tech. It'll be less centralized. It will not be traditional warfare in any sense. But believe me, it will be warfare that will dominate, I think, a good chunk of our generation. And then finally, I can't escape as a Christian the idea uh, that God is working in world history. Um, Whenever you read the Old Testament, you read the words um, time and time again, I will come, I will come to you, I will come and I will realign, I will come, the moon, stars and sun will fall from the sky. Uh, All of this is symbolic language that God will realign governments, God will rework nations, God will step into history and work his will. I think that's happening now. I think we see it in uh, the the change in the level of protection that perhaps certain portions of the world have had previously. I think we see it uh, in weather patterns. I think we see it in health patterns, Uh, old diseases that were virtually wiped out or returning. Um, Is it judgment? Yes, partially. Is it God reestablishing? realigning, preferring one, lifting one up, putting another down? Yes, no question about it. Is it God judging the affairs of men, uh, judging nations, uh, establishing one for his purposes and uh, destroying another? Yes, I think it's all of that. And I'm very humble about that because I don't think we understand what God is doing as clearly as we sometimes like to act. But I do believe that there is a divine element to the upheaval that we are dealing with in the world. Well, so, so what should we do? Or in the words I like to use, uh, stealing from Charles Colson and others, uh, how should we then live? What, what should we do in response to all of this? And that's what I want to discuss with you very briefly here in this 10 or 15 minute podcast in just five points. Um, how should we respond? How can we own 2016? Well, here are five steps that will at least maybe set you in the right direction and help frame some of the discussions and actions that you need to be engaged in. Number one is this. There are some ancient words that I like very much um, in the book of Chronicles from the Old Testament, First Chronicles 1232, uh, a tribe called Issachar uh, is said to have been a people who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Uh, number one in my list of things, uh, essential steps for owning 2016 is that we do what we can to understand the times. Many of us are weary of elections and bad news and reporting and crises and shootings. And so we retreat from the news and we retreat from trying to understand the times. Well, we can't do that. We can't do that. Uh, we, we have to strive to understand the times. What is happening in our world? What's happening on the macro stage? What's going on in the Middle East? What's happening in Washington, D.C.? We don't have to be experts, but we do need to know more than we tend to want to know. And to give you an example of how this even carries into the local level, uh, we, we need to know more about what's happening in our communities. Let me give you an example. As I sit here right now, 
Um, it's between Christmas and New Year's in 2015. I'm sitting in my office in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, now Nashville is a pretty southern town. Uh, it can be very sophisticated with its uh, medical facilities and hospitals and research centers and universities, uh, but it's but it's essentially southern. Uh, it's essentially country music. It's essentially blue jeans and boots. And so you don't think about it being a place that could um, that could be uh, under under threat, under the gun. But I'll tell you that there is a mosque in this town that is influenced by ISIS. How do I know that? Because my Muslim Kurdish friends told me. <laughs> uh, many, many of our Muslim friends uh, resent ISIS, want it to go away, see it as an enemy of their own faith. And they have been very clear. Yes, there's a mosque in town that's influenced by ISIS, and the uh, authorities don't seem to take that very seriously. So here I live in Nashville, Tennessee, beautiful city, on the rise, kind of a cool, cutting-edge city these days um, for music and for style and for fashion. Uh, and yet... But if I live ignorant of what's going on around me, if I don't understand the times of even my own city, I might very well have to endure uh, damage, a threat, uh, some kind of harm uh, that I might have avoided had I understood what was going on. So work to understand the times. Strive to understand what's going on in your world. The second principle that is so important is talk. If you want to put one word on number one, it's understand. Number two is talk. I'm astonished as a, as a man who works with people sometimes on very personal issues like what we do in our men's meetings and so on, men's movement, um, all, all the way down to helping people sometimes financially. I don't do that very much, but I, I urge people in that direction or working with students. I'm stunned at how people don't talk to each other. Husbands and wives don't talk. They don't talk to their children. They don't explore options. They don't, they don't discuss things over the dinner table. And that's got to change uh, in our world. It's got to change in your world particularly uh, because obviously you're listening to this podcast because you want to live differently and more meaningfully. But but husbands and wives, uh, partners, you need to talk. You need to talk about your financial situation. You need to talk about what might happen in your family. What would happen if one of you lost your job? Uh, what, what would happen if something happened in the community? How would you, uh, as a family, uh, respond to some of the crises that have happened uh, in our nation? I live, as I've said before, half the year in downtown Nashville, where I'm sitting right now. And you wouldn't think I'd have to deal with much related to natural disasters. I live in a great big building right downtown Nashville. And yet the great Nashville flood, a 500-year flood that happened just a few years ago, uh, had water lapping up on our street. I mean, I might have been uh, the victim uh, of a flood in Nashville, Tennessee, of all things. Uh, I'm two miles away from a river that is fairly shallow and not very active. And yet, when it, when it spilled its banks, it did billions of dollars of damage and came lapping up right to our street. Well, my point is, what would you do in a situation like that? What about if, you, what about if your city went on lockdown and, um, because of a shooting or something? How would you live? So I want, I want to urge you to talk. Talk to your spouse, talk to your family, and talk to your children. Do your children understand what is happening in the world? Do they understand what might be a threat in, the, in their school? Do they, do they understand how the family has to work together uh, to deal with these difficult times? Do they, do they understand that you have confidence that, that your family will get through these times, but there are some things that are going to have to be different? Talk 
There's nothing worse than, than going through difficult times where nobody's talking to each other, nobody has prepared, nobody has anticipated, and no one's teaching the kids. I talk a lot to college kids, talk a lot to high school kids. One of their biggest problems is their parents don't teach them anything. Don't prepare them. Don't talk to them. Don't narrate the times. That's the phrase I often use. Narrate the times. What's happening? What's going on? How do we digest what we see and how do we live differently? I think husbands and wives ought to lay in bed at night and love on each other, of course, but also have long conversations about what the future might look like and how we can prepare and what the kids need to know and how can we preserve a a sense of family purpose and all of this. I think all of that is incredibly important. Now, the third thing, if the first one is understand and the second one is talk, the third one is prepare. Absolutely prepare. You know, it's silly to watch the news and to see what might happen And to not prepare. And by the way, I mean prepare in the most practical sense. I believe, and I've taught for years, what I call a grandma strategy. When our ancestors were going through the Great Depression or other difficult times, and some of you, many of you, I realize are not, um, much of my audience is not American. So whatever the difficult times were uh, in your culture, your history, your native land. There, there were there was what I call a grandma strategy in place. I'm sure uh, people made sure that there was some kind of storage of food. They kept some money uh, tucked away. They made sure they had the skills to get through difficult times. They they had tools. They they maybe if they needed them had weapons. Um, they they built good connections with neighbors and family members. They 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 dealt with things as a community. Um, they got out of debt in some cases if they could. Um, they streamlined their lives if they saw difficult times coming. They limited their spending and and uh, got themselves in a position to deal with difficult times. I, I want to urge this very strongly. I am not a survivalist. I am not a person who you know is preparing for the big one to hit or to live up on a mountain in a pup tent. That is not what I believe is the main challenge of for my life or for yours. But I do believe that it's very possible that uh, goods and services could be disrupted where I live. And I live both in Washington, D.C. and Nashville. Uh, I do believe I might have to get through a, a city lockdown for a week because there was a shooting and there are, there are shooters loose in the city. Why do I think that might happen? Because it's happened in numerous communities around the United States and, of course, around the world uh, for quite some time. Sections of Paris were recently on lockdown for days. Well, what would that mean? How do your children know what to do? Um, how to rally at a certain place? Um, do you have a margin of food in your home? Do you have a margin of cash? Can you live without ATMs? If there's a bank lockdown, can you can you live without a, without banks and have enough cash and money uh, to get by for a week or two? I, I don't think it would be that long, but most people in America wouldn't make it a, a few days. Um, there was horrible flooding and horrible uh, landslides in the Midwest here about a year ago. And some people were near death's door purely because they had no water. Uh, well, that's, that's easy. As you know, you go to the grocery store or the dollar store or wherever you shop and, and you get about five or six pallets of, uh, of water and, and, you know, in bottles, plastic bottles, and you, you stick it in the corner of the garage or you put it in the basement. I mean, this is not hard stuff, but 
we need to prepare at a practical level. I think everybody should have a margin of food in their home, food and water. Uh, everybody should have some basic medicines. Everybody should um, have a family emergency plan. What do we do if something happens? Where do we rally? How do we all get together? Where's the safest place for us to be? Everybody should have some cash uh, to be able to get by for a while. I actually recommend that people have enough cash to survive a month at least. Uh, I think a month is a minimum. Can you pay your rent or your house payment? Can you pay your car payment? Can you keep all your insurance going and things like that? Can you feed everybody for a month with cash on hand? Um, you understand what I'm saying. I think this kind of preparation is critical. I think it's vital. And what kind of pride would it take for me to believe that I'm not going to endure something like that in Nashville, Tennessee, when they've had that kind of thing in San Bernardino and uh, in Colleen, Texas, and in Washington, D.C., in the Navy Yard, etc., etc., etc. I'm not arrogant enough to think that I'm going to be free of things that my friends and neighbors are enduring. So be prepared at a practical level. You can't prepare to live on an island of your own home for 10 years. I'm simply saying, can you make it for a month? Can you make it for a week? That's more likely what's going to happen. Uh, a natural disaster, a disruption of utilities, uh, a lockdown because of a shooting. These are the things that are likely to happen. So build a grandma strategy. Just do what our grandparents did. Make sure that you can live without necessarily having every service and, and provision that you need coming from outside. Have you got margin? Have you stored some things up? And then the fourth thing is this. Lead. Lead. I assume you're listening to my podcast. I assume that you are um, reading my Leading Thoughts newsletter, which this podcast is going to be the stuff of this particular week, uh, because you want to lead, because you want to make a difference in the world. I, I believe that leadership happens when someone takes responsibility for the solving of a problem. If there's a lot of trash in the neighborhood and a grandma says, I'm going to get everybody together and we're going to clean up this trash and we're going to, we're going to learn what's causing all this trash together and we're going to solve this, that's leadership. She's not the president of the United States or a general of troops, but she is a leader in that situation. She's taking responsibility for the solving of a problem. And we cannot, as we prepare to live in difficult times. We can't crawl into a hole. We can't live in isolation. We have to be invested in community, in family, in, in networks and, uh, that, that are social. And I don't mean electronic networks. I'm talking about where we live. And so be prepared to lead. How can you take responsibility? How can you solve problems? How can you provide answers? How can you bring people together uh, to deal with challenges that the community faces? Lead. Don't, don't hide. Don't crawl into a hole. Don't sit in front of your TV and criticize and make no difference. Lead. Take responsibility for creating answers, solutions to the problems that you and your community face. And then the fifth one is, is far more important than it's going to sound like to some of you. And I'm going to say it this way, get right with God. Now, that sounds like a preaching point. Sounds like I'm about to do a Billy Graham style uh, you know, altar call. I, that's not what I'm going to do, although it's not a bad thing at all to respond to something like that if you need to. But if you believe in God, if you believe it, that he has a will for your life, uh, if you believe that he has placed you in this life at this time and called you, then one of the solutions, one of the things that you ought to confront is what you believe, uh, what you believe about God, what you believe about God's will for your life, what you believe about his ordination of events around you, and, and 
how can you, uh, it's important you to establish what you believe about your connection to God. Now, this sounds very ethereal and very abstract and very religious, but I'm going to tell you that, that when you face death, when you face fear, when you face um, danger, these all press on matters of faith in your life. And you want to be sure about these things. You want to know what you believe. You want to be certain. You want to have confidence. Your kids don't need to just have a loose faith that wraps around them like an ill-fitting garment. They need to know what you believe and what they believe, and they need to face their times buoyed by that faith. And obviously, as a Christian, I believe in God. I believe in his calling. I believe in his uh, preordination. I believe I'm here in this generation for a purpose, not as though I'm something super special, but I believe all of us are in some way. But if you don't have a vital connection within your faith to a living God, then you're going to have a faith that's going to fail you in difficult times. And you will hear from previous generations, if you ask them, that their faith, their belief in God and their belief in his placing them in community, a vital community, often were uh, the most important things about how they got through difficulties. Just talk to someone who survived uh, the Great Depression and ask them what was important. You're going to hear things like community, faith, preparation. So these are the five things that I think are critical for us to deal with what's happening in our society. Number one, understand. Number two, talk, communicate, plan, teach. Number three, prepare practically. And by the way, it strikes me that some of you might say, I'm in such debt, I'm so tight financially that I can't even begin to lay aside a little cash like Stephen's suggesting. I can't even begin to have a margin of food or, or the tools I need, etc. Well, if you're in that kind of condition, I strongly want to urge you uh, to tap in to the, to the books and the seminars and the training videos of Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's uh, just a genius at helping people get out of debt and managing their money well. And um, I don't know that there's some big threat that's going to happen in two weeks that, you know, prevents the uh, you practicing the wisdom of learning and training. People are getting out of debt every day. They're getting their finances tamed. Uh, I'm not inherently anti-debt. I am an anti uh, you living a financial life that's chaotic and that does not allow you to prepare for the things you ought to prepare for. So get control of it, own it, and Dave Ramsey can help you. Number four is lead. Take responsibility for answering the challenges of your age. Take responsibility for solving problems. And finally, get right with God. What does your faith say to you about a vital connection to God that gives you courage and confidence and wisdom? And what does it say in the face of things like danger and death and threat, etc.? Uh, live a vibrant faith or discard your faith, one or the other, but don't live a faith that's just a loose, ill-fitting garment. It'll ultimately fail you and raise false expectations. I want you to own 2016. I want you to step into it with confidence. I want you to know where you're supposed to be, make a difference, be prepared, have some margin in your life, and live the vibrant, decisive life you're meant to live. Happy New Year to you. Go and own 2016. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and The Miracle of the Kurds. 
His new book is Ask the Question, Why We Must Demand Religious Clarity from Our Presidential Candidates, available on Amazon. Learn more about Stephen at stephenmansfield.tv. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is directed by Isaac Darnold, who also wrote, produced, and performed the podcast theme song. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production.